0: Thanks for being here. As you're sitting down, tell the person on your right and left, I'm glad you're here. If you will pull out your listening guide that you got when you came in and turn to Luke chapter 1. As has already been mentioned, we are celebrating the Advent season and Advent literally means the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. I love Christmas. I always have. I, I'm unashamed that it is the best of all of the holidays. And Normally, I love to put up a ton of Christmas lights at my house. I'm the Clark Griswold of our street. The more, the better. And For a long time, I've been convinced that a few of our neighbors are actually copying me from year to year. But this year, I just didn't have it in me. I don't know if you've ever had a holiday season like that, but I just didn't have it. One of my primary things that I do is I like to wrap the tree in our front yard, all of the branches, all the way up to mostly the top, every branch wrapped with lights. And it's striking and it looks amazing. But this year, I was thinking about it and I just couldn't rise up to the task because I love the wrapping I usually do it the day before Thanksgiving or the day after Thanksgiving, but the unwrapping is the problem. Because the unwrapping happens only because the neighborhood sends a letter to you telling you that it's (laughs) turning into February and it's time to unwrap your tree. And so I was just thinking about all the work that it would take to set it up and all the work that it would take to set it down. I was like, I just don't have it in me. But I had to do something. And I've been watching TV. And on the infomercial, they're selling, uh, selling the star shower. you see in the star shower? It projects the Christmas lights up onto your house. And now this year, it's the star shower Two with motion. So not only does it project the green and Red lights, they move around and make shapes together. So I went to the store and bought two of them. And uh, I think it looks great. Amanda doesn't think it looks great. I think it looks great. It definitely is not the best house on the street this year. So I consider this my Sabbath year. I'm taking a rest. <laughs> Next year, I will go star shower two plus the normal lights. And I will dominate every person in my neighborhood. But I just couldn't do it this year. And I don't know if you've ever gotten to this holiday season and you've ever felt that? Like, I know that this is really important. I know that this is spiritually important, but just I don't have it in me. But the simple definition of Advent helps reframe it for me. It's the celebration of the arrival of a notable person, but not a notable person. Uh, There have been a, a million different notable people in the history of our planet. But there is the notable person. And his notoriety is not just in the history of earth. His notoriety will last through the echoes of eternity. And that's what we're celebrating today. When we talk about Advent, we usually talk about it in individual stories. There's the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth. There's the story of the shepherds. There's the story of the wise men. There's the story today about Mary, and we think of it in those terms. But it's important to know that um, the Advent stories come together and combine with the stories of the Old Testament to tell a big story. It's like the graphic art form, a photo mosaic. I brought an example with me. Uh, A photo mosaic uh, art form, which is going to be right now on the screen, is, uh, is where you take thousands of smaller pictures and you use them to paint a bigger picture, and so this one obviously is a picture of the Mona Lisa, but it's made up of thousands or hundreds, um, in this case, of uh, smaller works of art, and that's what Advent is all about. It takes thousands of stories, not just Christmas stories, but stories from Genesis chapter 1, when God created everything, and Genesis chapter 3, when everything fell apart because Adam and Eve were like us, and they made bad decisions. Stories of the patriarchs, stories of the exodus, stories of of the judges, stories of the king, stories of exile. It takes all of those stories and brings them together and helps us to celebrate this pivotal moment of Jesus arriving on planet Earth. And It says in verse 26 of Luke chapter 1, "...in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David." And verse 38 is the main idea of this morning. You can even see it as the first sentence in your listening guide. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. It says in verse 26, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now the sixth month is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. If you were here last week, you remember we talked about Zachariah and Elizabeth. Zachariah was a priest. He was ministering in the temple as it was his turn. He won the drawing and and he's there doing his assignment and the angel Gabriel appears to him and says, you're going to have a son. Now, this was big news to him because he had gone his whole life and his wife's whole life and they had not ever been able to have children. She was called barren. There was a lot of stigma attached to not having children in those days. And it was a miraculous birth. And their son was going to be John the Baptist who would prepare the way for the Messiah. And the sixth month is a reference to her sixth month. See, if we want to have the heart and follow through of Mary to be, to be able to say, I am a servant of the Lord, then we need to remember that our story always starts in the middle of someone else's story. We like to think of ourselves as an original. We like to think of ourselves as unique. We like to think of ourselves as self-sustaining all to our own. But our stories are always built on the stories of someone else. If God has called you to an assignment in the same way that He has asked Mary to pick up this assignment, He will provide to you the right people. And usually the people he will provide will be somebody like Elizabeth, who is a little bit further down the road than you. Elizabeth had never been pregnant. She was called barren. It was a title that she wore on her own soul, unable to have children. Barren. She had never been pregnant. Mary had never been able uh, to be pregnant because she was young and she was a virgin. But Elizabeth had lived life. We know from last week's Message that she was advanced in years. That's what her husband said. He didn't dare call her old, just advanced in years. She had experienced life's up and down. She had learned how to deal with people. She knew when things come easily. She knew when things come hard. She had all those life experiences. And God provided Elizabeth to Mary so that Mary could see her assignment through. And God will provide you with the right people Usually somebody whose hair is a little bit grayer or goner than yours. (laughs) Somebody who's lived the highs and the lows. And it says that Gabriel appeared to Mary in a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now the reason that Luke had to mention Galilee, the region by name, and not just Nazareth, is because his readers probably would not have known where Nazareth was. The only reason that you and I know about Nazareth is because of Jesus. That's the only thing that makes it famous. Otherwise, it was a middle of nowhere town that you would never stumble across and history would have lost. It's like Poteet, Texas. The only reason many of us know about Poteet, Texas is because that's where the great George Strait was born. Otherwise, why on earth would we need to know about Poteet, Texas? It was the same as Nazareth, and this is where Gabriel appeared to her. And it says in verse 27, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, and of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So she's betrothed with Joseph. In your listening guide, the betrothal or engagement was stage one of the two stage Jewish process. Stage one of this two staged process started with a formal witnessed agreement to be married. Mary and Joseph, along with their families, came into an agreement together. Now, if the couple was very young, the less say they had in the agreement. If the couple was a little bit older, more into their adulthood, the less say their family had in the agreement. But there was an agreement that included the couple and included their families And then there was a financial exchange. This is stage one. And at stage one, they were legally and religiously bound to one another. Stage two looks a lot like our wedding ceremonies. A party, a celebration. And that's where the marriage would be completed. And that's when the bride would actually go to live with the groom. Mary and Joseph are in stage one. And I believe that they were early in stage one, because when the angel says to her, you're going to have a son, she says, how can this be? Because I'm a virgin. But if she was getting married in just a few weeks or even a few months, it would have made sense to her that... Oh, yeah, this is how this is going to happen. But she is a long way off, I believe, from the actual ceremony. I believe they're at the beginning of their betrothal because she can't comprehend a situation where the angel's prophecy would come true in more normal means. He says in verse 28, And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angels said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. He greets her by saying, O favored one. Now, historically, there are some extreme views about Mary. On one extreme, which is reacting to the other extreme, Mary is almost less than human. She's not a significant part of the story. When you hear these people on this extreme talk about Mary, they only ever bring up her faults or her limitations. They will say Mary, but then they might say something negative about her. To her uh, about her, about Why? Because of the other extreme. Because on the other extreme, there's a tendency to make Mary more than human. In fact, there's a tendency for us to believe that Mary is almost half God. Which makes a little sense because she gave birth to the Son of God, so you can understand how that thinking would come to pass. That's why in the fifth century, there started to be appearing literature that gave Mary a whole miraculous backstory of her own, where she was performing miracles and outrageous and extraordinary things were being done through her. On that same extreme, there are also people who. See Mary as a mediator between us and God. Which again makes sense when you think about the role of your mother. What did your mom do sometimes? Sometimes when you had to make a big statement to your dad or you had to make a confession to your dad or you had to ask something of your dad. What did your mom do? Your mom ran interference for you. (laughs) She went ahead of you. She prepared the way. She uh, put him in his nice recliner. She got him his favorite food. She made sure he had a good day. She told him that he was handsome. You know, she did all of the things to make it easier for you. Or she would interpret for him, well, that's not really what your father means. When he says he wants you to move out, what he means is that he loves you very much and you're welcome to stay here as long as you want. In most of our families, our mothers were the mediators between us and our fathers, they were the go-between. Most of us don't even talk to our dads that often, but we talk to our moms all the time. Right? So when we start thinking about Mary, we think, well, it makes sense then that she is with God and she would mediate between us, that she would run interference between God and I, and she would help me to understand, and she would help God to understand my perspective. But First Timothy uh, tells us that there's only one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only one that you need between you and God. And listen, the way that Jesus has advocated for us, he says, um, I've made it possible for you to come freely to God. You don't need to stop. You don't need to talk to anybody else. You can come and approach God as son or daughter yourself. That's the way that Jesus has mediated for us. Sometimes we also... uh, put Mary on a pedestal that she wouldn't even place herself on. I I really believe in your listening guide, the misunderstanding about Mary is really a misunderstanding about God because we assume he only uses special people. We think there, there had to be something really, really special about her that she would be chosen for this responsibility. And we start to imagine what her life must have been like. And then we start to picture of the reality of our lives and we would think, well, I would never get chosen for something like that. It it means she must be more than normal. But God uses regular people. The angel greets her as, oh, favored one. You see there and you're listening, the Greek word translated as favored is also used in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 6. And it says this, to the praise of the glory of his grace. That he has freely bestowed on us in his dearly loved son. Now, you remember that the Bible, the New Testament, was not written in English. It was written in Greek, which was the common language of the day. And the Greek word in the Bible, in Luke chapter 1, is translated favored when talking to Mary, and it's translated grace in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. See, when we heard the word favor, what we hear is favorite which is how most of us have always pictured Mary. She must have had something about her that would make her God's favorite, that he would choose her in this way. But the word favor in the scripture, it's not favorite, it's graced. And Mary understood that this was a gift of grace that was given to her. How do I know that? Because the next page in Luke chapter 1, In verse 46, she starts to sing a song, and that song is all about the greatness of God and what God is doing, not just for her, but for his people. She understands that she has been given an incredible gift of grace in being the one chosen to bear God's Son. And Ephesians chapter 1 says that same grace has been bestowed on all of us because of Jesus In Luke chapter 11, someone comes to Jesus and says, Blessed is the womb who bore you and the breasts who nursed you. Essentially saying, how lucky was Mary. And you know what Jesus says? He says, no, blessed is everyone who keeps the word of God. And you know what? Mary was one who kept the word of God. She was one who lived righteously. She wasn't perfect. We know this. We've been studying the Gospel of Mark, and you remember from just a few weeks ago, Jesus was teaching in a very crowded house, and his mother, Mary, and his brothers came to pull him outside the house. Why? Because he was embarrassing them. They did not believe at that moment that he was the Messiah, that he was the Savior, that he was really going to be able to live up to all the things that he was saying and all the hysteria that was around him. And so they came to try to calm him down, settle him down, bring him back down into more normal experience. She was not perfect, but she was righteous. She was one who kept the word of God. And I've seen in my own experience, and you have too, even though all of us have been bestowed been had grace bestowed on us. We've been given the favor of God in the form of the grace of God. It doesn't mean that we are all going to use that grace in the same way. There are some people who learn, I've been graced by God and just count it among the many gifts that we've been given in this life. I have a good home. I've been graced by God. I have children that I'm proud of. They are athletic. I have a good job. It's just one of the many gifts that we have. But then there are servants of God, true servants who finish their tasks, who understand, no, this grace that's been bestowed on me, it changes everything. It it affects everything. And those servants are willing to walk what Jesus calls the narrow road. They know that this grace means that they will go the extra mile and not just the ordinary mile. And Mary was one of those people. It says in verse 31, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. I'm hoping that you're joining us for Christmas Eve. That's exactly what we're going to talk about in our three services. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And then it says in verse 38, look at her words, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. Notice what she says. She says, let it be done to me. See, there is a difference between saying, I will do it and let it be done to me. There are lots of would-be servants of God who would like to see a jobs description list that Jesus has or God has and Say, well, that one fits with me. That seems pretty good. No, I don't really. That one's not going to work out with my schedule. Oh, right there. That's the one. I will do that one. Lots of us would do that. We like to be the ones who volunteer. Why? Because when we are the ones who initiate, it gives us a measure of control. It helps us serve on our terms, and it gives us the opportunity to hit the eject button if the things uh, get a, a little bit too hard. I remember about six or seven years ago, I spent, the hosp- uh, spent five days in the hospital. Uh, essentially, my appendix decided it didn't like me anymore, and it disintegrated in my body over the period of a week. And so we went to church uh, that Sunday morning. And See, that's, I go to church even when I'm dying. So <laughs> those uh, people who uh, didn't come today because of the rain, we're judging them today secretly. <laughs> Although not secretly, we're judging them in public. We're not judging them. Just kidding. There's lots of excused absences for church. Uh, but I didn't take an excused absence for even dying. Amanda made me go to church that morning. That's the reason I ended up there. So at our our, our church at the time, uh, before we started Bayou City, was had part one Sunday morning, part two Sunday morning. So we went to part one. And in between part one and part two, I said, I need you to take me to the hospital. And so we left early. So we got a, against our account in heaven for leaving church early. Um, we left and... And she, we went to the hospital and saw all the people and the tests. And the surgeon comes in and says, you're going to be in surgery in 20 minutes. And they wheel me into the surgery room. And that's the last thing I remember. And I wake up in the hospital room. And I wake up. Amanda's there. Her mom's there. And, and I felt good laying in the bed. I think it was because of morphine. I felt good. Laying in bed, but if I tried to move around, uh, just excruciating pain. The combination of the infection that had been inside me for over a week and the surgery uh, were just really, really painful. And so, if I just laid there, really still, it was fine and manageable. But if I moved around, it was unbearable. Pretty soon after I woke up, the nurse came in. His name was Frank. He was from Nigeria. He has left an indelible uh, memory uh, in me, on my mind because he said, uh, "In a few hours, I want to get you up out of this bed." And I thought that was more like one of those goals they write on the whiteboard in the hospital room. You know, the goal for today, get out of bed. But pretty much it was up to me when to accomplish that goal. I thought that's the kind of thing that we were talking about. Uh, But sure enough, he comes back a couple of hours later and he wants to pull me up out of this bed. And so I don't really want to do that, but... You know, everybody knows if you're in the hospital, the nurse is the one in charge. And I really respected him, and I am a person who responds to authority, mostly. And so I want to do what he's asking me to do. And so we do the like the manly like, arm lock, where I grab his forearm, and he grabs my forearm, and we're going to do this. And as soon as he starts to pull me out of my bed, it was like, I wanted to. I really did want to. My will... Was willing, but my brain said no, and it was it, my body wouldn't work, and it was incredibly excruciatingly painful. So I started making a deal with him uh, to say, Listen, I will accomplish that goal before the sun comes up. Uh, Before your shift is over, I will get out of this bed and I will be walking around. I promise I'm a goal-oriented person. This is going to happen. But just let me be the one to decide when the goal happens. I don't think it's right now. You're saying it's right now. I think that's just because that's what they told you in your nursing school. But what my brain is saying is that now is not the right time. But he wasn't having any deal. He just kept pulling me up out of the bed. It was painful. And we all know, we all know, right? given the choice between somebody else choosing pain for us and us choosing it for ourselves, we would rather choose it for ourselves. Why? Because we get to dictate the terms. We get to decide when we're ready. We get to decide, is this the right moment for us? We, we get to prepare a little bit for us. That's why there's a difference between a servant who says, oh yeah, I will do that, And a servant who has the courage to say what Mary said and says, Let it be done to me, according to your word. There's a big difference between saying, I want God's will to be done through me, then I want God's will to be done to me. It's a huge difference. A lot of us are are saying, Listen, I want to be the servant of the Lord, but man now 's not the right time for me now 's not the right time uh, it 's not my season right? it 's not my season because uh, well we just got married it 's not my season i 'm just just really focusing on my marriage right now it 's not my season it 's not my season i 'm in college i I got a lot of tests i got a lot of expectations I got a lot of pressure." I mean, right now, it's not my season to be a servant right now. Oh, it's not my season. Uh, We just had a baby. Babies are a lot of work. So when the baby gets older, then. Oh, it's not my season right now. I got toddlers. Toddlers running all over the place. They're impossible. You can't do anything with a toddler running around. It's not my season right now. Well, it's not my season. My kids are in elementary, you know, and they're playing on the football team, and they're playing on the basketball team, and they're doing this, and they're doing that, and they're doing that. And homework, Man, you can't believe the homework that they're giving my elementary kids and I gotta tutor them at home and this is not my season to be a servant. Wow, my kids are in high school. Man, you can't even understand the schedule of a family with high school students. It's not my season. It's not my season right now because... I just got my kids off to college and now it's just for the first time it's my wife and I and we're just really just enjoying us and just really investing back into that marriage I didn't get a chance to invest back in the marriage in the honeymoon days or did and then now's the it's not my season it's not my season uh because man I'm right in the prime years of my working life and work 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 it's not my season it's not my season because now I'm retired And grandkids, man, my grandkids are everywhere. They need me to do this. They need me to do that. Grandkids, it's not my season. It's not my season because I'm I'm just too old. I know I can't. I'm just old. I'm tired. And most people you and I know that self-identify as Christians treat the work of God in the same way we treated college electives. What works for my schedule What am I interested in? And if nothing else is going on. But Mary shows us today, it's not enough to just say, oh yeah, hey, I will do that. A true servant says, no, let it be done to me. I will hand you, God, a blank check with my life and you decide the amount and you write in the memo of where it goes. Yeah, but that might lead to some difficulty if I take that step of bravery to say not just, oh, I will volunteer, but let it be done to me. Something painful might happen, and I'm here to tell you today that if you are a servant of God, it will be difficult. But the scripture helps us to know what to do when it's difficult, when we're suffering according to God's will. First Peter chapter 4, verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So if today you realize I'm suffering because of God's will, I'm going through a, a season that's uh, hard right now and, and, and I don't have any other thing to blame it on other than God has chosen this for me, here's the game plan. First, remember your faithful creator. Second, entrust your soul to him. Not just the thing, not just a list of things. Entrust your soul, the very spirit of who you are and do good. Do good. If you are suffering right now because of the will of God, keep on doing good, which is the opposite reaction that most of us would have. Oh, I'm, this is a hard season for me, so I need to do good for myself. I need to be less concerned about everybody else and I need to be more concerned about me. But first Peter chapter four, verse 19 says that if you're looking at 2017 and you're thinking this is going to be a really hard year for me, you should be the first one out in the lobby saying, give me a job to do. I'm going to be super stressed in 2017. I need some people to serve. And that goes against everything in us. But the harder it is, the more good we need to be a part of. This is what Mary is saying in verse 38 when she says, Let it be. Let it be. Let. It's total trust it whatever whatever is coming question mark I don't know I don't know if I say yes to this assignment this task that God is giving this nudging that's in my soul to get out of the stands and onto the playing field if I do that I don't know what might happen let it whatever be let it come to pass there's a trust in God's sovereignty, our faithful creator. He created you, and he has called you. He's given you an assignment for a specific purpose, in a specific place, for a specific time. You know that this is the way it works because Santa Claus is going to drop off at many of your homes some toys that are going to require tools. and You're going to have to put them all together, and you know that when you're putting those toys together. Santa never does that himself, but whenever he delegates that to you, there's the right amount of screws and bolts and nuts and all of those things as as the directions say. If you have one too many or one less, you have messed up. First, we like to blame it on the designer. They did something wrong, but it's always us. It's always us. We're the ones. Because everything that needed to be there in just the right place is there and God is no different God created you and his is a sovereignty he has said this is your task for this people at this time and it's just right and to say let it be is to trust that he is sovereign but if he's sovereign he sustains the only way to see your assignment through is to trust in his sovereignty so that you can say let it be done to me Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. This is what Mary says, and this is what we want to say today as well. Let's pray. You don't need a human being to stand between you and God to interpret for you. You get to speak directly to him yourself as a son or daughter, and he gets to speak directly to you as a son or daughter. So why don't you take a second, just ask God in light of all we've read today from your scripture, what's my next step of obedience? We commit those things to you. Help us to see them through by your power and grace. In Jesus' name.